Chapter 3 of For the Temple, A Tale of the Fall of Jerusalem by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 3 The Revolt Against Rome That evening the rabbi Solomon ben Manasseh came in and was informed of the offer which Josephus had made. You were present, Rabbi, Simon said, at the events which took place in Jerusalem, and at the defeat of Cetius. John has been asking me to tell him more about these matters, for now that he is to be with the governor, it is well that he should be well acquainted with public affairs. I will willingly tell him the story, for as you say, it is right that the young man should be well acquainted with the public events and the state of parties, and, though the story must be somewhat long, I will try and not make it tedious. The first tumult broke out in Caesarea, and began by phrase between our people and the Syrian Greeks. Felix, the governor, took the part of the Greeks, and many of our people were killed, and more plundered. When Felix was recalled to Rome, we sent a deputation there with charges against him, but the Greeks, by means of bribery, obtained a decree against us, depriving the Jews of Caesarea of rights of equal citizenship. From this constant troubles arose, but outside Caesarea Festus kept all quiet, putting down robbers as well as impostors who led the people astray. Then there came trouble in Jerusalem. King Agrippa's palace stood on Mount Zion, looking toward the temple, and he built a lofty story from whose platform he could command a view of the courts of the temple and watch the sacrifices. Our people resented this impious intrusion and built a high wall to cut off the view. Agrippa demanded its destruction on the ground that it intercepted the view of the Roman guard. We appealed to Nero and sent to him a deputation, headed by Ishmael the high priest and Hilkiah the treasurer. They obtained an order for the wall to be allowed to stand but Ismael and Hilkiah were detained at Rome. Agrippa thereupon appointed another high priest, Joseph, but soon afterwards nominated Annas in his place. When Festus, the Roman governor, was away, Annas put to death many of the sect called Christians to gratify the Sadducees. The people were indignant, for these men had done no harm, and Agrippa deprived him of the priesthood and appointed Jesus, son of Damni, then, unhappily, Festus, who was a just and good governor, died, and Albinus succeeded him. He was a man greedy of money and ready to do anything for gain. He took bribes from robbers and encouraged rather than repressed evildoers. There was open war in the streets between the followers of various chief robbers. Albinus opened the prisons and filled the city with malefactors, and at the completion of the works at the temple, Eighteen thousand workmen were discharged, and thus the city was filled with men ready to sell their services to the highest bidders. Albinus was succeeded by Jesus Florus, who was even worse than Albinus. This man was a great friend of Cestius Gallus, who commanded the Roman troops in Syria, and who therefore scoffed at the complaints of the people against Florus. At this time strange prodigies appeared in Rome. A sword of fire hung above the city for a whole year. The inner gate of the temple, which required twenty men to move it, opened by itself. 
chariots and armed squadrons were seen in the heavens and worse than all the priests in the temple heard a great movement and a sound of many voices which said let us depart hence so things went on in jerusalem until the old feud at caesarea broke out afresh the trouble this time began about one of our synagogues the land around it belonged to a greek and for this our people offered a high price the heathen who owned it refused and to annoy us raised mean houses round the synagogue the jewish youths interrupted the workmen and the wealthier of the community headed by john a publican subscribed eight talents and sent them to florus as a bribe that he might order the building to be stopped florus took the money and made many promises but the evil man desired that a revolt should take place in order that he might gain great plunder so he went away from caesarea and did nothing and a great tumult arose between the heathen and our people in this we were worsted and went away from the city while john with twelve of the highest rank went to samaria to lay the matter before florus who threw them into prison doubtless the more to excite the people and at the same time sent to jerusalem and demanded seventeen talents from the treasury of the temple the people burst into loud outcries and florus advanced upon the city with all his force but we knew that we could not oppose the romans and so received florus on his arrival with acclamations but this did not suit the tyrant the next morning he ordered his troops to plunder the upper market and to put to death all they met the soldiers obeyed and slew three thousand six hundred men women and children you may imagine john the feelings of grief and rage which filled every heart the next day the multitude assembled in the market-place wailing for the dead and cursing florus but the principal men of the city with the priests tore their robes and went among them praying them to disperse and not to provoke the anger of the governor the people obeyed their voices and went quietly home but florus was not content that matters should end so he sent for the priests and leaders and commanded them to go forth and receive with acclamations of welcome two cohorts of troops who were advancing from caesarea the priests called the people together in the temple and with difficulty persuaded them to obey the order the troops having orders from florus fell upon the people and trampled them down and driving the multitude before them entered the city and at the same time florus sallied out from his palace with his troops and both parties pressed forward to gain the castle of antonia whose possession would lay the temple open to them and enable florus to gain the sacred treasures deposited there but as soon as the people perceived their object they ran together in such vast crowds that the roman soldiers could not cut their way through the mass which blocked up the streets while the more active men going up onto the roofs hurled down stones and missiles upon the troops what a scene was that john i was on the portico near antonia and saw it all it was terrible to hear the shouts of the soldiers as they strove to hew their way through the defenceless people the war cries of our own youths the shrieks and wailings of the women while the romans were still striving our people broke down the galleries connecting antonio with the temple and florus seeing that he could not carry out his object ordered his troops to retire to their quarters and calling the chief priests and the rulers proposed to leave the city leaving behind him one cohort 
to preserve the peace. As soon as he had done so, he sent to Cessius Gallus lying accounts of the tumults, laying all the blame upon us, while we and Bernice, the sister of King Agrippa, who had tried in vain to obtain mercy for the people from Florus, sent complaints against him. Cessius was moving to Jerusalem to inquire into the matter, as he said, but really to restore Florus, when, fortunately, King Agrippa arrived from Egypt. While he was yet seven miles from the city, a procession of the people met him, headed by the women whose husbands had been slain. These, with cries and wailings, called on Agrippa for protection, and related to a centurion whom Cessius had sent forward, and who met Agrippa on the way, the cruelty of Florus. When the king and the centurion arrived in the city, they were taken to the marketplace and shown the houses where the inhabitants had been massacred. Agrippa called the people together, and taking his seat on a lofty dais, with Bernice by his side, harangued them. He assured them that, when the emperor heard what had been done, he would send a better governor to them in the place of Florus. He told them that it was vain to hope for independence, for that the Romans had conquered all the nations in the world, and that the Jews could not contend against them, and that war would bring about the destruction of the city and the temple. The people exclaimed that they had taken up arms not against the Romans, but against Florus. Agrippa urged us to pay our tribute and repair the galleries. This was willingly done. We sent out leading men to collect the arrears of tribute, and these soon brought in forty talents. All was going on well until Agrippa tried to persuade us to receive Florus, till the emperor should send another governor. At the thought of the return of Florus, a mad rage seized the people. They poured abuse upon Agrippa, threw stones at him, and ordered him to leave the city. This he did, and retired to his own kingdom. The upper class, and all those who possessed wisdom enough to know how great was the power of Rome, still strove for peace. But the people were beyond control. They seized the fortress of Masada, a very strong place near the Dead Sea, and put the Roman garrison to the sword. But what was even worse, Eleazar, son of Ananias, the chief priest, persuaded the priests to reject the offerings regularly made in the name of the emperor to the god of the Hebrews, and to make a regulation that from that time no foreigner should be allowed to sacrifice in the temple. The chief priests, with the heads of the Pharisees, addressed the people in the quadrangle of the temple before the eastern gate. I myself was one of those who spoke. We told them that the temple had long benefited by the splendid gifts of strangers, and that it was not only inhospitable, but impious to preclude them from offering victims and worshipping God there. We, who were learned in the law, showed them that it was an ancient and immemorial usage to receive the offerings of strangers, and that this refusal to accept the Roman gifts was nothing short of a declaration of war. But all we could do or say availed nothing. The influence of Eleazar was too great. A madness had seized the people, and they rejected all our words. But the party of peace made one more effort. They sent a deputation, headed by Simon, son of Ananias, to Florus, and another to Agrippa, praying them to march upon Jerusalem and reassert their authority before it was too late. Florus made no reply, for things were going just as he wished, 
but agrippa anxious to preserve the city sent three thousand horsemen commanded by darius and philip when these troops arrived the party of peace took possession of the upper city while eleazar and the war party held the temple for a week fighting went on between the two parties then at the festival of the wood carrying great numbers of the poorest poor people were allowed by the party of the chief priest to pass through their lines and go as usual to the temple when there these joined the party of eleazar and a great attack was made on the upper city the troops of darius and philip gave way the house of ananias the high priest and the palaces of agrippa and bernice were burned and also the public archives here all the bonds of the debtors were registered and thus at one blow the power of the rich over the poor was destroyed ananias himself and a few others escaped into the upper towers of the palace which they held the next day eleazar's party attacked the fortress of antonia which was feebly garrisoned and after two days fighting captured it and slew the garrison manahem the son of judas the zealot arrived two days later while the people were besieging the palace he was accepted as general by them and took charge of the siege having mined under one of the towers they brought it to the ground and the garrison asked for terms free passage was granted to the troops of agrippa and the jews but none was granted to the roman soldiers who were few in number and retreated to the three great towers hippicus phasilus and mariamne the palace was entered and ananias and hezekiah his brother were found in hiding and put to death manahem now assumed the state of a king but eleazar unwilling that after having led the enterprise the fruits should be gathered by another stirred up the people against him and he was slain the three towers were now besieged and metilius the roman commander finding he could no longer hold out agreed to surrender on the condition that his men should deliver up their arms and be allowed to march away unharmed the terms were accepted and ratified but as soon as the roman soldiers marched out and laid down their arms eleazar and his followers fell upon them and slew them metilius himself being alone spared after this terrible massacre a sadness fell on the city all felt that there was no longer any hope of making conditions with rome we had placed ourselves beyond the pale of forgiveness it was war to the death with rome up to this time as i have told you i was one of those who had labored to maintain peace i had fought in the palace by the side of ananias and had left it only when the troops and we of their party were permitted to march out when it surrendered but from this time i took another part all hope of peace of concessions or of conditions was at an end there remained nothing now but to fight and as the vengeance of rome would fall on the whole jewish people it was for the whole jewish people to unite in the struggle for existence on the very day and hour in which the romans were put to death retribution began to fall upon the nation for the greeks of caesarea rose suddenly and massacred the jews twenty thousand were slain in a single day the news of these two massacres drove the whole people to madness they rose throughout the land laid waste the country all round the cities of syria philadelphia sebonitis gerasa pella 
and Scythopolis, and burned and destroyed many places. The Syrians, in turn, fell upon the Jewish inhabitants of all their towns, and a frightful carnage everywhere took place. Then our people made an inroad into the domains of Scythopolis. But though the Jewish inhabitants there joined the Syrians in defending their territory, the Syrians doubted their fidelity, and falling upon them in the night slew them all and seized their property. Thirteen thousand perished here. In many other cities the same things were done. In Ascalon, two thousand five hundred were put to the sword. In Ptolemy, two thousand were killed. The land was deluged with blood, and despair fell upon all. Even in Alexandria our countrymen suffered. Breaking out into a quarrel with the Greeks, a tumult arose, and Tiberius Alexander, the governor, by faith a Jew, tried to pacify matters, but the madness which had seized the people here had fallen also upon the Jews of Alexandria. They heaped abuse upon Alexander, who was forced to send the troops against them. The Jews fought but vainly, and fifty thousand men, women, and children fell. While blood was flowing over the land, Cetius Gallus, the prefect, was preparing for invasion. He had with him the twelfth legion, forty-two hundred strong, two thousand picked men taken from the other legions, six cohorts of foot, about twenty-five hundred, and four troops of horse, twelve hundred. Of allies he had from Antiochus two thousand horse and three thousand foot, from Agrippa one thousand horse and three thousand foot. Sohemus joined him with four thousand men, a third of whom were horse, the rest archers. Thus he had ten thousand Roman troops and thirteen thousand allies, besides many volunteers who joined him from the Syrian cities. After burning and pillaging Zebulun and wasting the district, Cetus returned to Ptolemy, and then advanced to Caesarea. He sent forward a part of his army to Joppa, the city was open, and no resistance was offered. Nevertheless, the Romans slew all, to the number of eight thousand five hundred. The cities of Galilee opened their gates without resistance, and Cetius advanced against Jerusalem. When he arrived within six miles of the town, the Jews poured out and fell upon them with such fury that, if the horse and light troops had not made a circuit and fallen upon us in the rear, I believe we should have destroyed the whole army but we were forced to fall back, having killed over five hundred. As the Romans moved forward, Simon, son of Giorus, with a band, pressed them closely in rear, and slew many, and carried off numbers of their beasts of burden. Agrippa now tried once more to make peace, and sent a deputation to persuade us to surrender, offering in the name of Cetius pardon for all that had passed. But Eleazar's party, fearing the people might listen to him, fell upon the deputation, slew some, and drove the others back. Cetius advanced within a mile of Jerusalem, and, after waiting three days, in hopes that the Jews would surrender, and knowing that many of the chief persons were friendly to him, he advanced to the attack, took the suburb of Bethsepha, and encamped opposite the palace in the upper city. The people discovered that Ananias and his friends had agreed to open the gates, and so slew them and threw the bodies over the wall. The Romans for five days attacked, and on the sixth, Cetius, with the flower of his army, made an assault. But the people fought bravely, and, disregarding the flights of arrows which the archers shot against them, held the walls. 
and poured missiles of all kinds upon the enemy until at last just as it seemed to all that the romans would succeed in mining the walls and firing the gates cetius called off his troops had he not done so he would speedily have taken the city for the peace party were on the point of seizing one of the gates and opening it i no longer belonged to this party for it seemed to me that it was altogether too late now to make terms nor could we expect that the romans would keep to their conditions after we had set them the example of breaking faith cetius fell back to his camp a mile distant but he had no rest there exultant at seeing a retreat from their walls all the people poured out and fell upon the romans with fury the next morning cetius began to retreat but we swarmed around him pressing upon his rear and dashing down from the hills upon his flanks giving him no rest the heavy-armed romans could do nothing against us but marched steadily on leaving numbers of dead behind them till they reached their former camp at gabeo six miles away here cetius waited two days but seeing how the hills around him swarmed with our people who flocked in from all quarters he gave the word for a further retreat killing all the beasts of burden and leaving all the baggage behind and taking on only those animals which bore the arrows and engines of war then he marched down the valley towards bethoran the multitude felt now that their enemy was delivered into their hands was it not in bethoran that joshua had defeated the canaanites while the sun stayed his course was it not here that judas the maccabean had routed the host of nicanor as soon as the romans entered the defile the Jews rushed down upon them, sure of their prey. The Roman horse were powerless to act. The men of the legions could not climb the rocky sides, and from every point javelins, stones, and arrows were poured down upon them, and all would have been slain had not night come on and hidden them from us, and enabled them to reach Bethoran. What rejoicings were there not on the hills that night as we looked down on their camp there, and thought that in the morning they would be ours? fires burned on every crest hymns of praise and exulting cries arose everywhere in the darkness but the watch was not kept strictly enough cetius left four hundred of his bravest men to mount guard and keep the fires alight so that we might think that all his army was there and then with the rest he stole away in the morning we saw that the camp was well nigh deserted and furious at the escape of our foes rushed down slew the four hundred whom cetius had left behind and then set out in pursuit but cetius had many hours start and though we followed as far as antipatris we could not overtake him and so returned with much rich spoil and all the roman engines of war to jerusalem having with scarcely any loss defeated a great roman army and slain five thousand three hundred foot and three hundred and eighty horse such is the history of events which have brought about the present state of things as you see there is no hope of pardon or mercy from rome we have offended beyond forgiveness but the madness against which i fought so hard at first is still upon the people they provoked the power of rome and then by breaking the terms and massacring the roman garrison they went far beyond the first offence of insurrection by the destruction of the army of Cetius, they struck a heavy blow against the pride of the Romans. For generations, no such misfortune had fallen upon their arms. What then would a sane people have done since? Surely they would have spent every moment in preparing themselves for the struggle. Every man should have been called to arms. 
the passage should have been all fortified for it is among the hills that we can best cope with the heavy roman troops the cities best calculated for defence should have been strongly walled preparations made for places of refuge among the mountains for the women and children large depots of provisions gathered up in readiness for the strife that we could ever in the long run hope to resist successfully the might of rome was out of the question but we might so sternly and valiantly have resisted as to be able to obtain fair terms on our submission instead of this men go on as if rome had no existence and we only show an energy in quarrelling among ourselves at bottom it would seem that the people rely upon our god doing great things for us as he did when he smote the assyrian army of sennacherib and such is my hope also seeing that so far a wonderful success has attended us and yet how can one expect the divine assistance in a war so begun and so conducted for a people who turn their swords against each other who spend their strength in civil feuds who neither humble themselves nor repent of the wickedness of their ways alas my son though i speak brave words to the people my heart is very sad and i fear that troubles like those which fell upon us when we were carried captive into babylon await us now there was silence as the rabbi finished john had of course heard something of the events which had been taking place but as he now heard them in sequence the gravity and danger of the situation came freshly upon him what can be done he asked after a long pause nothing save to pray to the lord the rabbi said sorrowfully josephus is doing what he can towards building walls to the towns but it is not walls but soldiers that are wanted and so long as the people remain blind and indifferent to the danger thinking of naught save tilling their ground and laying up money nothing can be done then will destruction come upon all john asked looking round in a bewildered and hopeless way we may hope not the rabbi said here in galilee we have had no share in the events in jerusalem and many towns even now are faithful to the romans therefore it may be that in this province all will not be involved in the lot of jerusalem there can be unless a mighty change takes place no general resistance to the romans and it may be therefore that no general destruction will fall upon the people as to this none can say Vespasian, the Roman general who has been charged by Nero with the command of the army which is gathering against us, is said to be a merciful man as well as a great commander. The Roman mercies are not tender, but it may be that the very worst may not fall upon this province. The men of spirit and courage will, doubtless, proceed to Jerusalem to share in the defense of the holy city. If we cannot fight with success here, it is far better that the men should fight at Jerusalem leaving their wives and families here and doing naught to call down the vengeance of the romans upon this province in galilee there have as elsewhere been risings against the romans but these will count for little in their eyes in comparison to the terrible deeds at jerusalem and i pray for the sake of all my friends here that the romans may march through the land on their way to jerusalem without burning and wasting the country here on the eastern shore of galilee there is much more hope of escape than there is across the lake not only are we out of the line of the march of the army but there are few important cities on this side and the disposition of the people has not been so hostile to the romans my own opinion is that when the romans advance it will be the duty of every jew who can bear arms to go down to the defence of the holy city its position is one of vast strength 
we shall have numbers and courage, though neither order nor discipline. And it may be that, at the last, the Lord will defend his sanctuary and save it from destruction at the hands of the heathen. Should it not be so, we can but die. And how could a Jew better die than in defense of God's temple? It would have been better, Simon said, had we not by our evil doings have brought God's temple into danger. He has suffered it, the rabbi said, and his ways are not the ways of man. It may be that he has suffered such madness to fall upon us in order that his name may at last be glorified. May it be so, Simon said piously, and now let us go to bed, for the hour is growing late. The following morning Simon, his wife, and the whole household accompanied John to the shore, as Simon had arranged with one of the boatmen to take the lad to Hippos. The distance was but short, but Simon, when his wife had expressed surprise at his sending John in a boat, said, It is not the distance, Martha. A half-hour's walk is not to the lad. But I had reasons, altogether apart from the question of distance. John is going out to play a man's part. He is young, but since my lord Josephus has chosen to place him among those who form his bodyguard, he has a right to claim to be regarded as a man. That being so, I would not accompany him to Hippos, for it would seem like one leading a child, and it were best to let him go by himself. Again, it were better to have but one parting. Here he will receive my blessing and say goodbye to us all. Doubtless he will often be with us, for Tiberius lies within sight, and so long as Josephus remains in Galilee, he will never be more than a long day's journey from home. The lad loves us, and will come as often as he can, but, surrounded as Josephus is by dangers, the boy will not be able to get away on his own business. He must take the duties, as well as the honor of the office. And we must not blind ourselves to the fact that, in one of these popular tumults, Great danger, and even death, may come upon him. This seems to you terrible, he went on, in answer to an exclamation of alarm from Martha, but it does not seem so terrible to me. We go on planting and gathering in, as if no danger threatened us, and the evil day were far off. But it is not so. The Roman hosts are gathering, and we are wasting our strength in party strife, and are doing naught to prepare against the storm. We have gone to war without counting the cost. We have affronted and put to shame Rome, before whom all nations bow, and assuredly she will take a terrible vengeance. Another year, and who can say who will be alive and who dead? Who will be wandering over the wasted fields of our people, or who will be a slave in Rome? In the times that are at hand, no man's life will be worth anything, and therefore I say, wife, that though there be danger and peril around the lad, let us not trouble over much, for he is, like all of us, in God's hands. Therefore the parting took place on the shore. Simon solemnly blessed John, and his mother cried over him. Mary was a little surprised at these demonstrations, at what she regarded as a very temporary separation, but her merry spirits were subdued at the sight of her aunt's tears, although she herself saw nothing to cry about. She brightened up, however, when John whispered as he said goodbye to her. I shall come across the lake as often as I can to see how you are getting on, Mary. Then he took his place in the stern of the boat. The fishermen dipped their oars in the water, and the boat drew away from the little group, who stood watching it as it made its way across the sparkling water to Hippos. Upon landing, John at once went to the house where Josephus was lodging. 
the latter gave him in charge to the leader of the little group of men who had attached themselves to him as his bodyguard joab he said this youth will henceforth make one of your party he is brave and i think ready and quick-witted give him arms and see that he has all that is needful being young he will be able to mingle unsuspected among the crowds and may obtain tidings of evil intended me when men would not speak maybe before others whom they might judge my friends he will be able to bear messages unsuspected and may prove of great service to the cause john found at once that there was nothing like discipline or regular duties among the little band who constituted the bodyguard of josephus they were simply men who from affection for the governor and a hatred for those who by their plots and conspiracies would undo the good work he was accomplishing had left their farms and occupations to follow and guard him every jewish boy received a certain training in the use of weapons in order to be prepared to fight in the national army when the day of deliverance should arrive but beyond that the jews had no military training whatever their army would be simply a gathering of the men capable of bearing arms throughout the land each ready to give his life for his faith and his country relying like their forefathers on the sword of the lord and israel but without the slightest idea of military drill discipline or tactics such an army might fight bravely might die nobly but it could have little chance of victory over the well-trained legions of imperial rome at noon josephus embarked in a galley with his little band of followers eight in number and sailed across the lake to tiberius here they landed and went up to the house in which josephus always dwelt when in that city his stay there was generally short Terichia being his general abode for there he felt in safety the inhabitants being devoted to him while those of tiberius were ever ready to follow the advice of the disaffected and a section were eager for the return of the romans and the renewal of the business and trade which had brought wealth to the city before the troubles began that evening josephus sent for john and said i purpose in two days to go to Terichia, where i shall spend the sabbath i hear that there is a rumour that many of the citizens have privately sent to king agrippa asking him to send hither roman troops and promising them a good reception the men with me are known to many in the city and would be shunned by my enemies and so would hear naught of what is going on therefore i purpose to leave you here in the morning go early to the house of samuel the son of gideon he dwells in the street called that of terichia for it leadeth in the direction of that town he is a tanner by trade and you will have no difficulty in finding it he has been here this evening and i have spoken to him about you and when you present yourself to him he will take you in thus no one will know that you are of my company pass your time in the streets and when you see groups of people assemble join yourself to them and gather what they are saying if it is aught that is important for me to know come here and tell me or if it be after i have departed for terichia bring me the news there it is but thirty furlongs distant john followed up the instructions given him and was hospitably received by samuel the tanner in the course of the day a number of the citizens called upon josephus and begged him at once to set about building walls for the town as he had already built them for terichia when he assured them that he had already made preparations for doing so and that the builders should set to work forthwith they appeared satisfied and the city remained perfectly tranquil until josephus left 
the next morning for Tericia. End of chapter 3